0: All right, so we are talking about parenting, and this is the third week in our series on parenting. Um, So we, next week will be our last week, and Julie's going to wrap that up, but you can pray for Julie because she's having sinus surgery tomorrow, and I don't know if she's going to wrap it up or not, but uh, (laughs) we're hoping to wrap up parenting. Now, I, I think probably one of the unwise things we've done in this whole parenting sermon series is to choose to do it in January when all of the parents' kids are sick. And so, you know, it's a good thing we have podcasting. But let me give you just sort of a little introduction to where we're at, and then we'll go from there. So the first, series, the first sermon was on this idea that God presents himself as our Father. And Jesus kind of expands that in the sense that he invites us, if we're going to end up in the kingdom of God, that we have to be like children. So there's this invitation that we deal with God as a father. And so the thing that um, we have to do then is begin to not see God through our parents, but begin to see our parents through God. And Jesus kind of lays out how we can do that. And so if you really... That's an interesting idea. You should listen to the first sermon, and you should listen to it a couple times because remember, you hear me say, you're not going to remember half the things I say. Maybe you'll remember one of the things that I say. And so you need to hear them a couple times to kind of take hold of them. So as we've talked about the whole fathering thing, we've we've slipped then into Psalm 23, where we're kind of camping out to talk about parenting. And the thing that we said about being a parent. The one thing that the mission of parenthood, the goal of a parent, the desire of a parent is that first verse of Psalm 23, which is, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's what we want our children to be able to say. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Right? And we said that Jesus expands that and says that he's the good shepherd. And I said that lacking nothing really is just what peace is. Right? And so what I said, maybe if you expanded that out, what you could say, or what you would hope your your children would kind of step into, and really what we hope for ourselves, is that we can say, I stand with Jesus, and I'm at peace. Or I stand with Jesus, and we kind of define peace as knowing that you're loved, knowing that you have impact, and knowing that there's hope. Those are the three things. So you could say, what we want our children to be at is, I stand with Jesus, and I know I'm loved, and I know I have impact, and I know there's hope. That's what, I'm, what we're looking for. That's what we want. And so we kind of said, okay, well, if that's the goal, then as we looked at the first three verses of Psalm 23, we said there's some keys that we have to have as parents in the way that God parents us. One is that we have to be conscious of the environment that we're creating right? So as we are parenting our children, we have to be conscious of how we're interacting as parents, what kinds of tension we're creating in our family, because this is how children learn. They're watching us. The question the children ask from zero really until they're 50, 60 years old when they're looking at their parents is, how do I be an adult, right? And we don't hear anything our parents do say most of the time. We're watching them to kind of negotiate that and figure it out, especially when they're little. So the environment that we create for them is very important. The second thing I said was, or kind of that Psalm 23 offers us, is that we are leaders. Like if you have a child, you're a leader, like it or not. And the call of a parent then is to be like Paul, who said to us in the New Testament, follow me as I follow Jesus. As a parent, we say to our children, follow me as I follow Jesus. Right, so... You have to take hold of the leadership idea. And then third, we talked about restoration, right? So it's leadership, I mean, environment, leadership, and then restoration, right? That the role of a parent is this constant restoring of our children. And this goes way beyond just when they're minors. Like parents' role in our life, if they're godly parents, is to pursue us and to restore us. And I said a lot of that has to do with the idea that... We are humanizing our kids. Our kids are not human. Right? We talked about, I know, and you, you know this is true, right? But we talked about the garden. The thing that you and I rejected, because you know, Romans tells us for the wages of sin is death, the gift of God's eternal life. It says for all have sinned. Like sin, the thing that happened in the garden is a rejection of being human, right? Image bearing is humanity. Children are an example of the extreme rejection of that. And so we talked about how children have two kind of modes. One is that they're unkind and they're egocentric or selfish. That's what an unhuman person is. So our job is to restore them, to continually turn them around and move them towards Jesus and restore their humanity by bringing in kindness and other, fo- other focus, right? Unselfishness. So that's kind of where we're at with that, is that we want to create an environment. We've got leadership. And our job is to restore our children. So with all that kind of in mind, we're going to jump into Psalm 23. um, And we're going to start in verse 4. We covered the first three verses last week. Uh, So Psalm 23, I believe, is on 579 in your Black Bible. You can look there. You can pull it up on your app, however you wish to do it. Or you can just listen to me. But we're going to start in verse 4. It starts this way. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Okay. So, I just want to pause before I head in there and remind you that the thing I said last week is that this is a psalm about being a shepherd and sheep are dumb and David acknowledges that he's dumb, right? And so because he's kind of comparing himself to a sheep and comparing all of us to a sheep. And so when we think about parenting, we have to understand that we have these little defenseless, dumb sheep. That's what we're parenting. So it's dumb and dumber, that idea. So as we walk into that, David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So last week I talked about this the whole generational thing, like the Gen X millennial thing. So here, let me put you in there. If you're a parent who was born after 1960, then you are a Gen X or millennial parent. And we talked a little bit about how one of the wounds of those of us who were born after 1960 and ha- our parents is that we didn't, our parents weren't really as involved as we hoped they were that we didn't have a relationship with them. In fact, I don't know how many of you watch Seinfeld's Comedians in Cars getting coffee. How many of you? It's one of my favorite shows. I always love this show. But I watched the interview with Howard Stern, and he's kind of a crazy guy. But what Howard Stern said that just kind of blew me away was, he said, the one thing I wished I could have had for my dad was for him to just sit down and ask me, how are you doing? And that really is the longing of most of us Gen X and millennial parents is that we just wanted our parents to sit down and say, How are you doing? And they weren't there. You know, it's where we get latchkey kids started in there, parents working full time, double incomes, the economy's changing, all those kinds of things. So, what happens then is, as parents, we want to be friends with our kids. And so, when we read this psalm that says, you know, what, the way God parents us is as we head into evil and the valley of the shadow of death, he's with us. We want to say, no, 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 that's not good parenting. What good parenting is, we're going to prevent our kids from going through any pain or any shadow or any evil. You know, this is where we get helicopter parents, where we get all those kinds of things. It's very hard for us to watch our kids be uncomfortable. It's very hard for us to make our children uncomfortable. But the reality is, is that we all live in the valley of the shadow of death. And evil is all around us, and our children and we can't avoid it. So what David then says is, God doesn't leave me, he's with me. So the role of us, if we're going to kind of try to Think about you know, this psalm being an instruction in parenting. The invitation then is for us to be with our children in what they're going through, not rescue our children from what they're going through. Right? But then David says, how do I know that? How do I find this comfort? Well, he says the comfort is found in a rod, right there, And his staff, right? That joke is going to, you know, as long as Rod's around, that joke's always going to be there. Um, But, no, so a rod and a staff, these are the two ways that David is saying, I know that I'm being parented. Well, well, let's just talk about how this rod works. It's a sapling that the the, uh, shepherd pulls out of the ground, and there's a root ball on it. And he lets that sapling dry out, and he strips it down, and that root ball gets really hard, and then he uses it as a weapon. Okay? And so one of the ways that he comforts the sheep, because remember, sheep have no way of defending themselves, is that some way, I don't know how this is, the sheep understand, even in all of their confusion in life, understand that that cudgel is used to protect them from the wolves, and from the dogs, and from whatever seems to be out there, and their fear of becoming mutton chops. Like, that's, that's their thing. Mutton chops, yes. The fear of every sheep is mutton chops. Anyway, so you have, so you've got that. But the other way, in the more brutal way that the sheep understands that this cudgel is, or the stick or rod is a way of comforting, is that as the sheep are being pushed into what seems to be dangerous to them. Men, a few of them are like, "No, I'm not going there. I'm not gonna do that." And so they keep running off. And so what the shepherd does is he takes the stick and he just breaks their legs, picks up the sheep, and carries it around. Okay, it's just kind of interesting because we all think, "Oh, that's got to be really hard on the sheep. He's getting his legs broken." It's actually really hard on the shepherd who's trying to take care of all the sheep and now he has to have one of them hanging on him. So part of what David is saying is I know that God steps into my life in such a way that he's willing to inconvenience himself. Right? He's willing to inconvenience himself. What happens to that sheep once his legs heal is he won't go anywhere that the shepherd doesn't. He just follows him around everywhere. Then the staff... It's kind of this thing that has a crook and you can pull, you know, the the sheep's neck and move them around and kind of guide them and that kind of thing. But more it's just a directional thing, right? So if we think about this idea that peace, the the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. This not lacking, if it's peace, if the first thing is knowing that you're loved. What David's saying in verse 4 then? is the way that I know I'm loved is that God is willing to break my legs when I refuse to walk through the things that I'm afraid of. And he's saying, the way I know I'm loved is that when I'm steering off in the wrong direction or trying to skirt the things that I'm afraid of, he guides me. So let's just talk about fear in Kids. Children are afraid of everything. We're all afraid of everything. But children are afraid of everything. There's always, for them, a chemical fear experience. Right? So they get up on the top of the slide, and they're afraid. Um, they, they go to the water slide place, and they climb up all the way to the top, and they won't go down. Right? We, they, they won't. My, you know, Like I said last week, my brother would not get in the water, in the bathtub, because he was afraid he was going to get sucked down the drain. But what happens inside children in all their different kinds of phobias is that they have the same experience that you and I have when we have that fight-or-flight experience. So they're having it over and over again. And what happens is if you and I don't help guide them through their fear and we're not going to be with them is that they begin to create phobias or boundaries, things they won't do, right? So they won't do this. They won't do that, and so as they grow up into adults, what happens? The way this manifests is we have, you know, generalized anxiety, or we get into marriage and we're like terrified of being vulnerable, so we won't be vulnerable, or we come into a group of people and we're just like we don't want to know what, we don't know what to do, and we melt into the corner, or we can't go apply for a job because we're afraid of being rejected, and so we're frozen. Like these, these boundaries are created when children continually have this fight or flight experience and then it's not resolved for them in a healthy way and there's no parent with them to either crush their legs or guide them, right? But here's the thing. If we're able, but what that means is that you and I have to actually embrace having our own legs broken and embrace the directional staff of God so that we can say, okay, follow me, it's I follow God, to help them with these things. And here's why that's core. If you're afraid, then then you're living in death, right? Everything has some kind of death experience into it. But if your fear is only centered on God, who is love, then you're free, right? You don't have boundaries. So if you fear God, who loves you, then all of a sudden the boundaries are gone because nothing matters, right? And one of the things that you and I are all afraid of, and kids are all afraid of this too, is dying, right? We're all afraid of dying. But the only way you wouldn't be afraid of dying is if you're actually living now, right? So if you only fear God and you have no other fear, then you're actually living now in what God has offered you and there's nothing to fear after death, right? Because you know what life is like, what true life with God is like. And so what we're inviting kids into in helping them walk through their fears is into actually living now so death has no grip on them, understanding who God is and the life that he gives them. Let me give you two examples in scripture about how God does this in parenting, and I'll just tell you the stories and you can go look at them later. Number one is Jonah, right? Jonah if you want to deal with a strong-willed child read Jonah over and over and over again because Jonah is a strong-willed child God says this is what I want you to do Jonah says then no we're going the opposite direction so God says well here's a storm and some people throwing you in the water and uh, you know a big old fish is going to swallow you and you're going to get bleached oh okay finally I'll do what you're telling me to do finally and then he does it and what does he do he's grumpy about the results This is what a strong-willed child is. But God continually is chasing after him, saying, no, 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 I'm not going to say, I'm going to go get another prophet. No, you're the prophet. I asked you to do this. You're going to do it. And I am going to find your pain point. I'm going to break your legs, right? So in parenting, when you are helping kids walk through things, you do have to know their pain points. And God knew Jonah's. It just was going to be a couple, you know, throwing the water a fish. He chases after him. On the other hand, if you go read Judges, there's this guy named Gideon. And the Midianites, really bad people, have invaded. And he's hiding in a cave, trying to make some wine to make a little money. And God shows up and says, Hail, mighty warrior! You know, And Gideon's looking back and forth going, where's the mighty warrior? And, and like every kid who's hiding and is afraid, he has a hundred questions for God. And all hundred questions are, how come you didn't show up? Like, my parents said you were like this, but you haven't showed up. And then they said this about you, and you haven't showed up. And you said this about you. And then the angel says, go in your strength, Gideon. Didn't I tell you to go do this? Like... He doesn't break Gideon's leg because Gideon's afraid he's going after who Gideon is. You're strong, you're strong, you're strong. It's the staff, right? So we have to know our children. We have to be willing to study them. What, um, What David is telling us is that the way God parents us is to step intentionally into our lives and operate this way. And now the invitation is for you and I to do that in our own children's lives because when we do that when we step in and and we're with them in the in in fear and in the sense of evil and all those kinds of things that kids struggle with they know they're loved it's how we know we're loved because god is with us so david continues in verse five he says you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you anoint my head with oil my cup overflows So David makes a shift, and really what he's beginning to say is, because he's kind of illustrating what it means to not lack anything. He says, first I know I'm loved because you're with me, and you comfort me, and you discipline me. Then he says, I know I am important to you, I have impact, because you're willing to throw a party. Now when I was a kid, I would read this, and I'd be, okay, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I imagined it more like God saying, okay, I know you guys are all fighting, you guys sit there right now because we have to have a picnic. We're going to have a picnic, and then when we're done with the picnic, you guys can fight. And I don't like, understand this. I mean, you might, this is how my brain works. But this isn't what it's saying. What, it really, what he's talking about is more like you're up on a hill. The enemy's down at the bottom of the hill. He can't get to you. And God is throwing a big party for you and the enemy can see it. He can see that you're celebrating and this is a great old time and the enemy is like, what's going up there? Like, what I want up there? And God's like, yeah, well, you don't get to be up here. Like, because here's here's my peeps. They're up here and I'm celebrating them, right? Now, he grabs these images of, of, you know, festivals, the feasting, the cup overflowing, the, the oil and all that kind of stuff. But, Partying is something that little kids love. Like every little kid loves to party. Like tiny little kids. Like they want to have a birthday party. And they want presents. And they want to be princesses. And, and they want to you know, shoot Nerf guns and have Nerf gun wars and celebrate themselves. They have no problem celebrating themselves. Then you hit 10 or 11, and it's like, okay, Dad and Mom, you can be here, but I want to have some of my friends, and we're going to play video games, and we want to have pizza, and you guys can just kind of go over there unless we get too rowdy. To, you know, don't look at us, right? but we're going to do our thing. And Then you get into your teenage years, and all of a sudden it's like my daughter who's like, well, I want everyone to leave the house because I'm going to invite all my friends over and cook for them. They can celebrate me, but I'm going to celebrate them. To the point where now we throw, husbands throw parties for wives and vice versa and friends, and we don't want to be at the party that's being thrown for us. Like, we don't want to know that we're a certain age, and we don't want anyone to look at us, right? Partly why I love when the village sings happy birthday is that you see this poor person sitting up here awkward, saying, with all these people singing happy birthday, and the person's like squirming because they're the center, just for a moment, Right? I think one of the things that is hard for us as adults is to actually enjoy God celebrating us, acknowledging that he loves us and that he celebrates who we are. And so then what we do to our children in that is we don't invite them to enjoy being enjoyed. Right? Because we begin to have a harder and harder time enjoying being enjoyed. But one of the core things to peace, I believe, in God is enjoying being enjoyed by him. And one of the places that actually happens is here on Sunday night. This is the party. Yes, we're coming and we're celebrating that God died on the cross for our sins because he loves us. It is the feast. We come and have bread and wine and remember what Christ has done for us. It is, it is a party about us. As much as it is about Jesus, it's about us. It's about him loving us and throwing a party for us. It's a part, I think, of just being a parent that I I would encourage you to think through. It's what does it look like for you to step into the parties that are there for you and enjoy them and let your children see you enjoy them. Show them what it's truly like to enjoy being enjoyed. That's one invitation. But, but the other thing is, really this idea of his cup overflowing and the oil being on his head is that there is a sense of just intimate relationship with God. That when you have intimate relationship with God, you know you impact him. Right? And we talked about in the very first, or last week, that, that your peace or the sense of not lacking anything is connected to how deep the intimacy is with God. And so, what he's saying is here is, I know I have impact because I have a deep, intimate relationship with God. We have that opportunity to kind of help our kids understand that. My dad, when I got into college, one of the things I found, I think the second year of college, is that I had a pretty severe learning disability. And so, I was wrestling with kind of trying to figure out how to, to negotiate this. And so I went to my dad, I'm like, I don't know what to do, because in in 1992, people weren't talking about learning disabilities, and there wasn't any special thing for you at college or in high school. I mean, so my dad stepped right in, in a place I didn't know what to do, and he's like, okay, we're going to get you tested here, and we're going to do this, And, and he didn't ask me to do anything. Right? He, didn't, he didn't ask for one thing from me. He just kind of guided me along. And in a way, what I, what I felt in that moment um, and in that, over that period of time as he kind of helped me figure that all out was I have an impact on my dad. Like I'm important to him. Enough for him to insert himself in a dramatic way into my life and say, you're important. I'm going to take care of this. Right? Well, that's the invitation that God is giving us as parents. And, and I think this goes on beyond your children being 18. I think as a parent, you're called to continually be in that restorative process and continually remind your children, no, you have an impact on me, and I'm willing to step out of my comfort, like my comfort zone to help you get where you need to go in the sense of following Jesus and being in relationship with him. So David says God inserts himself in that way and celebrating us and celebrating us in the midst of our trials and struggles. And so what God is saying in the midst of that is even though when things are hard and dark and you don't know what's going on, God is saying, you have an impact on me. You have an impact on me. Verse six says, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So it's as if David does this thing where he's like, okay, I know I'm loved. God's present in the way he disciplines, and the way he engages me, the way he celebrates me. So I do have hope. Surely goodness and love, goodness is impact, like surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That word follow, like, it's not but when I when I read it, I always would think, oh, like it, it means like goodness is just sort of jogging behind me, going, hey, like I'm here. No, like what he's saying is based on the way that God's involved himself in the first five verses that I've communicated, well, that word follow in the Hebrew is a word that used for the enemy doggedly pursuing someone else. Like the one he wants to destroy. Right? It thinks surely. Based on the way God has interacted with me, surely He's going to doggedly pursue me to the ends of the earth. Like, this is what I'm going to live in, right? This is what I'm going to live in. And so, because of that, I want to live in my dad's house. Right? I want to live in my dad's house. So, let me offer you kind of a little bit backwards here, go a little backwards. Um, In the context of God's house, like David wanting to be there, kids, you're all kids. You all have parents. Your parents, some are like amazing, some maybe you shouldn't be in contact with. You know, they're all on the spectrum. But I think your children are watching to see how you interact with your parents, they want to know what it's going to look like. The way that you love and honor your parents now, the way you talk about them, the amount of grace that you offer them, the sense of, of wanting to, to create some kind of space for them, if, it's, if that's possible in your life. If not, then that's probably not good. But they're watching that, and they're going to do the exact same for you. They're, they're going to interact with you just the same way you interact with them with your parents. There's going to be some of that going on, especially as your parents age. And so I think, just as a side note, one of these would be really good for you to think about is to think about your parents in the context of, of God and his grace for them, as you talk about them and as you um, kind of show your children how to honor them. But the other thing is this, this hope, that goodness and and love will follow you all the days of your life. Like, when when you insert yourself into your kids' lives, when you're willing to correct them, deal with their fears, what you're really doing is saying, okay, this goes beyond zero to 18. Like, we're building a community, and I want you to be in that community with me. And I want you to do life with me and ministry with me and I want to move in that direction. So it's an invitation. But, but the invitation can't come if you're unwilling to, to step into this idea of love and of impact and offering them hope. So, let me check my time here. What time is it? 6? 11? Talk, 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 Eric. All right, so then I will close there and say, does anybody have any questions or thoughts or things from last week or the week before, things you want me to expand on? Yes, we'll go Emily and then we'll go Nikki. Oh, right, right, right. I can't coordinate that many things in my brain. We'll take a raffle. Breaking or crushing legs, of course, sounds very unculturally... Can you give some examples? Of breaking children's legs? Yes. <laughs> ten. Ten. Okay, so I will give you, give you some, some things. So sometimes... Um, so I said last week that there were basically three kinds of things that, that kids kind of deal with in the sense that they... I'll do it this way. There, there are two things. One, kids are bound up in distraction, Right? And, and so they're just, their attention spans are short. So a lot of times dealing with distractions is something that you do by just kind of guiding them and saying, no, don't do that. Okay, don't do that. Um, but when children are um, selfish and unkind, then you do have to know their pain points to move them from being selfish and unkind. And sometimes that takes breaking their legs and so that might mean, in a moment, putting a little pressure on their shoulder. It might mean cleaning out their room and saying, there's nothing in your room. It might mean saying, like, today I said to my son, you know, no electronics, tell me where Afghanistan is and give me three cities in, in Afghanistan, right? Like, I just, that was a minor pain thing, but it was something that was frustrating to him, but I wanted him to learn something, um, it could be when I was, as I tell over and over again, when I was headed into my senior year, super depressed, and my mother said, well, you know what? You have to have two friends and you have to join two clubs in the first week of school or I'm packing your bags and you're not living here because you're a miserable person to be with. And I was like, now I tell her that she said that and she denies it. But it was a, life tra- <laughs> it was a life-transforming moment. Um, so, so it's being willing... To put the pain on the fear, because a lot of it was things I was afraid of, right? Um, it might mean uh, that, you know, you take your kid, like I was really afraid to walk across the street when I was five. So my mom would just repeatedly grab my hand and we would walk across a busy street, like every day. And it terrified the, me. But she was but that the fear itself was a pain point, forcing me to, to face it. I don't know. I could keep going, but Nikki, what was your question? Somebody give Nikki the, the mic. Um, you know how you said that we're an example to our kids the way we talk to our parents? hmm What if you can't handle your parents? Like what if no matter what you say, like I don't know, no matter how hard you try. Like with my mom, I don't want to put her out there, but she'll just be mean no matter what. Like, And it's like, you're trying to be nice and you're trying to be respectful, but then they put you in a position where you're just like, oh my God. Sure. So what do you do when your parents are difficult to be around and maybe even not good to be around all the time? Narcissistic. Yes, <laughs> when your parents are narcissistic. Um, well, I think there's a couple of things. One is that, did I get a phone call? Wow, that would be interesting. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm also very distractible today. Um, it's not about... Y- it's about you honoring them and in front of your children offering them grace. That doesn't mean that you don't say, okay, I'm a human being and I deserve to be treated in a way that's graceful. And so I can't be around you a lot if you're not going to do that. But that doesn't mean then you go bad mouth your parents. You talk about what they did offer you and what they struggled to offer you because of where they come from and what their story is. I think a big part of honoring your parents is just understanding that they have a story too and and then there are reasons that they do what they do. And so just honoring that would be and, and allowing your kids to be exposed to that. Okay. Yeah, that would be. Any other questions? Thoughts? Responses? Nobody. All right. Oh, one way back. Could you address one more time about the um the celebration? Yes. Not so much um what you already said, but something else. Uh, <laughs> you want me to, to, to talk a little bit more about being the celebration part um, as knowing that you have impact with God and the way that he celebrates you? I mean, I, I don't completely know what you're asking. Oh, what does it, what look does look it like? Okay, what does that look like as parents, and in parenting? Well, I would tell you that if your spouse throws a party for you, you should be super excited, and you should. My my son, like we have, I have a game night some nights, and he says, "Dad, are you excited about the game night?" I don't know. I mean, some friends coming over. We're going to play some games. He's like, "No, aren't you excited?" Like your friends are coming over, no. Oh yeah, God, I mean, I like my friends. Like it's being willing to just to be present in the moment allow the the invitation to be a child i mean i really do think that part of david saying he throws a party for me in front of my enemies is it's sort of a ha, 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 look at like i get celebrated and you don't like like it's almost like that kind of sense of like no this is about me god loves me um so it's being being willing to be present in the moment and maybe you don't have to be super exuberant not all of us are Elliot. So I mean, it's okay. <laughs> I'll see now. I got some more hands. All right. um right. Let's go here and then Nikki again, and then. I was gonna say, if you're celebrating, if you're celebrating, you have to have a sense of security. Yes. And and that's the thing I've thought a lot of times when I'm going through something hard, and yet that peace of God can be in you. That and you can, you can celebrate because and that's that's an awesome thing. Not just showing the devil, but. Just to you, you know, just kind of, I'm so secure. These things don't bother me. Right. We're having a party. Cool. Nikki and then Ruben, and then I'm going to wrap it. I oh, don't know. I was just going to say, like, when a kid draws something and shows you, or if they have, like, something to say from school, you just, you know, how you do the acting, like, oh my God, wow, that's awesome. Is that yeah. what you mean? Yeah, yeah, no, it's totally about your own life and about okay. the way God yeah, loves you. That's all Ruben, do you have something you want to say after all that? No, I forgot what it was. <laughs> all right, there you go. Well, let's, let's pray. <laughs> oh, well, Mike wants to say something. Keep it short, Mike. Oh, and... No, that's very short. So. Oh, so. oh, hello, there we go. Yeah. Um, for those of us who don't have children, like the things that you're sharing are beautiful, and I want to pass that on to others. How do we do that if we don't have kids in our life? Um... Well, I think those of you who are married and don't have children can at some level take hold of what I said early on about being single. And that when you get married, like what it says in 1 Corinthians 7, like when you get married, there's a distraction. And then children add to that distraction. Well, married without children, you have less of a distraction. And so you do have the ability to step into people's lives and say, hey guys, it's not about your children, it's about Jesus, like to really kind of help redirect that. kids i want people to know how or kids or maybe other adults i want them to know how father celebrates them and and that can be intrusive sometimes in other people's lives so like how do we do that without being jerks and you know hey we're here we want to celebrate you the way jesus celebrates you you know i just say do it and if a parent's like well that's a little overwhelming then just say oh i'm sorry just be willing to... I think Emily wants to say something. And then I really am going to close. We, I was really... You're on. I was really just stretching, but... Oh. I was, I was going to say, as you... <laughs> as you said, we are all children. Yes. So if you don't have your own little people... There's plenty of big people around to watch you celebrate your husband or wife or your boss or your friend and can learn from that. And now I'm going to pray. Jesus, thank you so much for uh, parenting us and giving us an opportunity to to have children and to guide them towards you. Thank you for this community and their wisdom and their joy and their willingness to engage. I just ask that you bless the rest of our time together. Amen.